And just like that, Championship Sunday is upon us. Hello and welcome into episode 29 of Jake's Take. I'm Jake Heller. Appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Thank you for all of your support. So Championship Weekend is almost here for all of NASCAR's top three series. The Truck Series, tomorrow night, Xfinity, on Saturday, and of course, the NASCAR Cup Series Championship this coming Sunday at Phoenix Raceway. So we'll be talking about that, and I'll be giving my preview, talking about everything that transpired this past weekend at Martinsville Speedway that has led up to this point. Going to be talking about Week 8, and of course, a preview of Week 9 in the NFL, which kicks off tonight with the San Francisco 49ers and the Green Bay Packers. So, to kick things off, last Friday night at Martinsville Speedway, the cutoff race for them in the round of eight, the NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series. And as I said on the last show, going into Martinsville, this was a must-win situation for Grand Enfinger. I mean, two seasons in a row, it was looking like he possibly wasn't going to make it to the championship four because of some unfortunate issues and circumstances in the round of eight. You know, the blown engine at Texas Motor Speedway just several days before the Martinsville race. And I said, like, this is definitely a must-win situation. How sad that would have been if Grant Enfinger wasn't able to make it to the championship four when you have three wins on the year, the season opener at Daytona, Atlanta in early June, and Richmond in early September. And I'll tell you what, Grant Enfinger, he drove the race of his life on Friday night. He knew second or worse wasn't going to do him any good it wasn't going to get him to the championship four so to see him the aggressive moves that he made whether it was brett moffitt whether it was sheldon creed and then obviously holding off some very very dicey shots from his teammate ben rhodes as we know ben rhodes is one of the more aggressive drivers in the gander outdoors truck series what an awesome job he did holding him off. And, of course, everyone was wondering those last few laps. Christian Eckes and Ben Rhodes, the bad blood that had spilled over from Texas Motor Speedway, how Christian Eckes had tweeted to Matt Kenseth, do you have any pointers for me for Friday night? And Christian gave Ben some shots, but ultimately didn't end up spinning him out or crashing him. But nevertheless, Ben Rhodes will not be a part of the championship for this coming Friday night at Phoenix. And, of course, the other thing is, what a heartbreaker for Austin Hill, the regular season champion, just like Grand Enfinger was last year. And Austin Hill having two wins on the year, Kansas Speedway back in July and Las Vegas Motor Speedway in late September. And to see the engine blow, I mean, he dealt with engine issues the majority of the race, and then shortly past halfway, the engine finally let go. Definitely a, a heartbreaker for him. Scott Zipidelli in the 16 team, once again, you know, some very, very promising chances for them winning the championship two years in a row and just didn't work out. Eliminated along with them, Matt Crafton, the defending series champion, and how ironic he won a race this year at Kansas Speedway. He didn't win a race last year, but won the championship. And of course, Tyler Ankrum, a disastrous round of eight, wrecking early on at Kansas Speedway and then just running pretty poorly at Texas Motor Speedway and Martinsville Speedway. I know that that has to... <laughs> I know that has to kill him to not make it to the championship four when his trio of GMS racing teammates, they will be a part of the championship four. Brett Moffitt winning at Kansas Speedway and then Sheldon Creed winning at Texas Motor Speedway. And then, of course, their rookie teammate, Zane Smith, the two wins that he has had on the year. He finished third Friday night, and that was good enough for him to move on to the championship four. So sure enough, your championship four for tomorrow night at Phoenix Raceway for the Gander Outdoors Truck Series, 8 o'clock on Fox Sports 1. Michael Waltrip, Kurt Busch, and Vince Walsh, they will have the call for you. Grant Enfinger is on the pole. Zane Smith is second. Sheldon Creed third. And Brett Moffat fourth. When I look at the four, uh, these four drivers, like I said, Grant Enfinger, four wins on the season. Zane Smith, his rookie season, two wins on the year. Michigan International Speedway, Dover International Speedway, breakout season for Sheldon Creed. Four wins, Kentucky Speedway, the Daytona Road Course, Gateway near St. Louis, and Texas Motor Speedway, and Brett Moffitt. I think that is probably the most amazing story out of any of these championship four, is Brett Moffitt, March 14th. We all remember on March 13th when the season was shut down because of COVID-19. 
The next day, the day that the truck series was supposed to be racing at Atlanta Motor Speedway, Brett Moffitt was in his backyard just running one of his dirt bikes, just having fun, and ended up having a very awkward and very violent fall, breaking both of his legs. And if COVID-19 really saved any one season, first off, it was Ryan Newman. Ryan Newman only ended up missing three or four races, and Brett Moffitt. Brett Moffitt was able to get surgery on both of his legs. We all know with the truck series schedule, it's very, very spaced out compared to Xfinity or Cup. And Brett Moffitt did not miss a single race. The truck series didn't return until May 26th at Charlotte. And here he is. He's a part of the championship four. But as we know, just one win on the season at Kansas Speedway. When I look at the four of these drivers, you know, Grant Enfinger, he's 35 years old. He's been a part of NASCAR for a long time to come. What an amazing story that would be. Zane Smith, his rookie season with crew chief Kevin Bono-Mannion, who won two Busch Series championships with Martin Trex Jr. But the more I thought about it, the more I am going to go with Sheldon Creed as my pick for the 2020 Gander Outdoors Truck Series champion. So then Saturday at Martinsville Speedway, the NASCAR Xfinity Series returned there for the first time in 2006. Right off the bat, Noah Gregson, he knew that it was a must-win situation. He either had to win or he was going to be done. And him and Ross Chastain, both of them, two of the more aggressive and outgoing drivers, I guess you could say, they gave it everything they had. They ran one-two majority of the race. <laughs> you know, Noah Gregson and, and Ross Chastain, especially those first two stages. Brandon Jones, Ryan Sieg, you know, the, the odds were stacked pretty highly against them. And Harrison Burton, I know that has to be a gut puncher in itself to win for the second week in a row, Texas and Martinsville, but to not have a shot at the championship four. And what an, a pretty awesome moment for Harrison Burton. Now, like I said, when it was the NASCAR Bush Series, they used to go to Martinsville Speedway from 1982 to 1994. And then they had a one-off appearance in 2006. Kevin Harvick won that race. Anyway, the record at Martinsville Speedway, the youngest driver to win a NASCAR Busch Series race at Martinsville Speedway, now the Xfinity Series, the youngest driver to win there in the Busch Series was Jeff Burton at the age of 23 in the fall of 1990. That was his first Busch Series win. Last Saturday at Martinsville Speedway, Harrison Burton, his son, shattered the record. Harrison winning at Martinsville just several weeks after turning 20 years old. And what a cool moment that was. Jeff Burton getting to interview his son Harrison on the radio because NBC, they were running a little late on, on time and everything. There was a couple red flags early in the race. That was a really, really cool moment. So your championship four for Saturday at Phoenix Raceway, the NASCAR Xfinity Series, five o'clock on NBCSN. Steve Letarte, Jeff Burton, and Rick Allen with the call. Dale Earnhardt Jr., he will not be in the booth. And he even said it himself. He's made sure over the years, ever since he started with NASCAR and NBC, if a junior motorsports driver has a shot at the Xfinity Championship the last race of the season, he takes himself out of the broadcast just to, you know, just to remain unbiased. And that is a smart, smart move right there. Because 2018, Tyler Reddick, won the Xfinity Championship for Junior Motorsports. Last year, Justin Allgaier had a shot at the championship for Junior Motorsports, just like he will this coming Saturday. So your championship four and the top four starters on Saturday will be Justin Allgaier. Three wins on the season, the Saturday race at Dover, and then the doubleheader at Richmond in September. Of course, Chase Briscoe, nine wins on the season, his last race before moving up to the Cup Series in 2021, taking the 14 car over for Clint Boyer. Austin Sendrick, sort of a breakout season for him too. Five wins on the season and finally winning on some ovals. And of course, Jason Boone's favorite driver, Justin Moneymaker Haley. <laughs> Making it to the championship four with Colleague Racing, satellite RCR Xfinity team. Sure enough, Justin has three wins on the season, both Talladega races and the summer race at Daytona International Speedway. So when I look at these four drivers, Chase Briscoe, Austin Sendrick, Justin Haley, they run good at Phoenix, but not great. They might get a, a couple top fives, a couple top tens, but when it comes to the NASCAR Xfinity Series at Phoenix Raceway, nobody, as far as non-cup drivers go, nobody does it better than Justin Allgaier. 
when Justin, his first stint in the Nationwide Series, whether he was driving for Team Penske or he was driving for Turner Scott Motorsports, he always ran great at Phoenix. Of course, we all remember with Justin moving up to the Cup Series in 2014 and 2015, kind of struggling and, and almost at the point that he was thinking of retiring. And wouldn't you know it, the 2015 Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway Riding in the back of a pickup truck, a driver introductions with Dale Earnhardt Jr. Because we all know Dale Earnhardt Jr. As good as he was, he wasn't really the best when it came to qualifying. So he's riding in the back of a pickup truck with Justin Allgaier. And he said to him, hey man, what are your plans for next year? And he said, honestly, Dale, I really don't know. Me and Ashley, we're, we're just talking about Ashley being Justin Allgaier's wife. He said, honestly, I'm just thinking of hanging up the helmet and doing something else. And Dale Jr. said to him, he said, listen, man, he said, I know that Brent has been with you for the last four years. He said, we have an opening at Junior Motorsports next year. I want you to come drive for me. And that saved Justin Allgaier's career. And sure enough, his first win with Junior Motorsports, it came in March of 2017 at Phoenix Raceway. And he won there in November of 2019 in order to move on to the championship four. Like I said, Chase Briscoe, Austin Sendrick, they've had amazing seasons. The two of them combined winning 14 races. Justin Haley, that's definitely the Cinderella story for the Xfinity Series this year. But the more I thought of it, knowing how dominant he is at Phoenix Raceway, knowing how long he has been in the sport, being 34 years old, knowing how close he came to retiring after 2015, I think come Saturday afternoon at Phoenix Raceway, I think it will finally be Justin Allgaier's time to shine, and he is my pick to win the 2020 NASCAR Xfinity Series Championship. Now we move to the big day this past Sunday, Martinsville Speedway, the ultimate cutoff race. Brad Keselowski, Martin Trex Jr., they were on the front row. Brad led the first three laps. Trex took the lead from him. You know, Brad's car, it kind of struggled those first few laps, just looked really, really tight through the center. Just wasn't able to turn. And we know how dominant Martin has been at Martinsville Speedway the past several years. And it was very dicey all day long for Brad Keselowski. There was times where he was 25 points to the good, 20 points to the good, 19 points to the good. There was other times he would only be a handful of points to the good or even be out of the championship four. It was just an up and down struggle all day. And then, of course, Denny Hamlin for no reason whatsoever, running into Brad Keselowski just five laps into the race, knocking him out of the groove and sending him up the racetrack. Then again, I know those two, they've never, they've never really gotten along together all that well. And, you know, Denny Hamlin, he went on to win the first stage. But as we have seen this year, Denny Hamlin, Chris Gabehart, the 11 team in the playoffs, even though they won Talladega, they have made a ton of mistakes. And sure enough, the one pit stop where Denny had to come back down pit road for some loose lug nuts. And it got to the point that you were thinking, wow, is Denny Hamlin going to have another playoff choke and miss the championship four when this has been one of his best seasons ever. But I think the biggest story of all Sunday, Kevin Harvick, nine wins on the season, the regular season champion, the struggles that he has had these last few weeks not being able to pass Joey Logano for the win at Kansas, and then hitting the wall Sunday at Texas Motor Speedway last week as it was misting, and then just struggling badly with the car on Wednesday, and then the problems they had on pit road, and then sure enough this Sunday, Kevin Harvick and Matt Kenseth, they got together, that cut Kevin's tire down, and then next thing you know, he has to pit under green, he's two laps down, and, next, and it looks like Kevin Harvick, after dominating all season, it's looking like he's not going to make the championship four. And, of course, like I said, Kurt Busch, you know, Kurt, he knew going into the day winning was all that was going to matter. That was the only way he was going to make it to the championship four. And brilliant call by his crew chief, Matt McCall, keeping him out under a caution, him getting the lead, leading 23 laps, but ultimately it wasn't enough. He ended up finishing fifth. You know, Alex Bowman, I, I know um, I know how disappointed Dale Earnhardt Jr. is that he didn't make it to the championship four, but oh well. You know, at the end of the day, when you only have nine playoff points in the bank, what do you expect? You know, and credit to Alex and Greg Ives. They, they had a great season. They were very, very solid and very consistent these last few weeks. A lot of top fives and top tens, but at the end of the day, just not enough points to move on. 
you know, he finished sixth. And Martin Trex Jr., Martin Trex Jr., for the first time since 2016, he will not be a part of the championship four. As the race was winding down, sure enough, he had a loose wheel. James Small called him to pit road, and that was it. But anyway, Kevin Harvick, you know, he fought and fought and fought, got one lap back, got another one back. And, you know, Brad Keselowski, like I said, that was, it was looking very, very bleak at times. There was even one time towards the end of the race, he got a speeding penalty on pit road at the very last section. And for one split second, I thought to myself, don't even tell me that this is how Brad's championship hopes are going to end. But at the same time, I thought to myself, this is one of his best tracks. And sure enough, when they went back to green, he passed car after car after car. And, you know, from being six points out, next thing you know, he's tied with Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin for that last spot in the championship four. And Brad drove the wheels off that car on Sunday night to get back up into the top five and back up into the championship four while Kevin Harvick surprisingly struggled to get by Ryan Newman and several other cars. And Chase Elliott, this was a must-win situation for Chase Elliott. Me and Jason Boone, we have talked about this constantly for a long time. You know, Chase, he's young, he's 24 years old, he's talented, he's undoubtedly the sport's most popular driver now that Dale Earnhardt Jr. has retired. But one thing with Chase was these pressure situations he has never been able to close the deal think of how many second place finishes he had before he finally won the cup series but chase his car looked dominant on sunday once he took the lead winning the second stage and then sure enough that last stage just checking out on the field and beating his best friend ryan blaney by six seconds to clinch a spot in the championship four when going into the day chase elliott was 25 points behind brad keselowski for a spot in the championship four. So credit to him, Alan Gustafson, the nine team at Hendrick Motorsports. You know, they have momentum on their side. This was undoubtedly, even though it's only the 10th win of Chase Elliott's career already, this was undoubtedly the biggest win of his career. So, you know, Joey Logano, Paul Wolf, the 22 crew, they already had a spot locked up in the championship four. They finished third. Brad Keselowski, he crossed the finish line fourth. And as they were coming off the final corner, Kevin Harvick trying to get one last spot, knowing that a tiebreaker would put him in. Kevin Harvick turned into Kyle Busch, spun both of them out, and then next thing you know, Kevin ends up backing into the fence on the front straightaway. Kyle Busch motors on, Matt DiBenedetto, Denny Hamlin, Eric Jones, all these cars fly past Kevin Harvick. And by the time it was all said and done, by the time he got the car refired and crossed the finish line, he was 17th and missed the championship four. So just like that, your championship four this Sunday going to Phoenix, Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott, and Joey Logano. And that's the thing, you know, there was a lot of talk. Oh, what a crock this is. You know, Kevin Harvick, the regular season champion, nine wins on the season, not being a part of the championship four. Hey, is it a crock? Sure. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is him, Rodney Childers, and the four team, they didn't perform when it was needed most. And granted, I feel awful for them. I really, really do. They deserve to be a part of the championship four. Honestly, a lot more than Joey Logano does. But at the end of the day, mistakes were made. There's nothing else that, that can be done about it. You know, I, I get tired of hearing all these people saying like, oh, you know, a regular season champion, they should have an automatic berth in a championship four. That's BS, if you ask me. At the end of the day, if you don't perform when it matters the most, tough luck. I'm sorry. That, that's just the way I look at it. You know, and, and Kevin Harvick, you know, it's kind of funny. When he won the championship in 2014, he said that he said the chase and the playoffs, it's the greatest thing that ever happened in NASCAR. And he handled it with class and with grace on Sunday night. But sure enough, when they asked him, you know, he said, he said, these aren't the kind of championships that, that Earnhardt and Petty were winning with. Basically meaning, you know, it was a straight up count from race one to the very end of the year. Whereas the playoffs, you know, it's broken down every three weeks. There's eliminations and there's resets. So it is what it is. Then, of course, the other big story was the controversy with Eric Jones. Eric Jones, only one more race left with Joe Gibbs Racing this weekend before he moves on to the 43 car at Richard Petty Motorsports for 2021. And his spotter, Rick Corelli, came over the radio, 
with just a couple laps to go as Eric was running 12th and Denny Hamlin was running 11th, and he said, don't pass him, Jones. Almost kind of like 2013 at Richmond, Spingate, you know, with Clint Boyer and Brian Vickers when they manipulated the race, Justin Martin, Trex Jr. could get it in the playoffs, you know, oh, is your arm starting to hurt? Itch it. And then bringing Brian Vickers down pit road for absolutely no reason whatsoever, and then Truex gets in, and they find out all this stuff, and he got kicked out, and they got Jeff Gordon back in. But nevertheless, NASCAR, they didn't penalize Kevin Harvick for dumping Kyle Busch, and they didn't penalize Denny Hamlin and Eric Jones. So we move on to the championship four. So this Sunday, Phoenix Raceway, the NASCAR Cup Series Championship, Sunday, November 8th. 2020, 3 o'clock on NBC, calling the race for NBC, three-time Phoenix winner, Dale Earnhardt Jr., ironically, the last one of his career came at Phoenix in November of 2015, Steve Letarte, who won at Phoenix in April of 2007 with Jeff Gordon on the night that Jeff Gordon tied Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s father for 76 wins, two-time Phoenix winner, Jeff Burton, and Rick Allen handling play-by-play duties. Now, the other big story, before I dive into the championship four, the last races for the careers of Jimmy Johnson, Chad Knauss, Clint Boyer, and Matt Kenseth. What a beautiful paint scheme Ally put together, a silver chrome paint scheme for Jimmy Johnson, the final race of his career starting 26th. Obviously, the seven championships, the five in a row from 2006 to 2010, 2013, then, of course, 2016, tying the late great Dale Earnhardt and Richard Petty for seven championships. And all those seven championships, in 81 of those 83 wins, they came with Chad Knauss. And, you know, Chad, I know he's working with William Byron. It's gonna, Sunday's going to be his last race as a crew chief before he becomes the vice president of competition for Hendrick Motorsports. You know, we talk about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, what they accomplished together now that they're apart, now that Bill is still in New England and Tom is in Tampa Bay. Undoubtedly, one of the most successful, if not the most successful, driver-crew-chief combination in NASCAR history when you think of it. You know, like, that's the thing. Jimmy Johnson didn't win a single race without Chad Knauss. Chad Knauss only won one race without Jimmy Johnson, and it was with William Byron at Daytona back in August. So congratulations to both of those men on incredible careers, whether it was behind the wheel or on the pit box. And I know Jimmy's going to do good in IndyCars, and I know Chad is, is going to help Bring a resurgence to Hendrick Motorsports. Clint Boyer, 10 wins in his career. Undoubtedly one of the funniest and most likable guys in the garage area. Someone, easily the guy you would love to have a beer with. You know, Clint, I know he is going to do a great job with NASCAR and Fox come 2021. And Matt Kenseth, our 2003 NASCAR Winston Cup Series champion. 39 wins, two Daytona 500s. Beat Dale Earnhardt Jr. for Rookie of the Year in 2000. And I know, Matt, I know it's been a struggle this year coming out of retirement, taking Kyle Larson's place. Nevertheless, I know that he struggled this year. Just one top five, a second in Indianapolis, just two top tens, finishing 10th at Darlington, his very first race back after being out of the car for two years. Nevertheless, despite the struggles, it doesn't change the way I think about Matt Kenseth. Like I've said many, many times before, undoubtedly the most underrated driver in my generation. So congratulations to those four men on incredible careers, and best of luck to them in the next chapter. Now, the starting lineup for Sunday, the championship four at Phoenix. On the pole, 24-year-old Chase Elliott. His best championship finish was fifth in 2017. Four wins on the season for Chase, the Thursday night race at Charlotte back in May, the Daytona road course that took the place of Watkins Glen, the Charlotte Roval, and this past Sunday at Martinsville. Obviously, like I said, the most popular driver. And Chase and his father, Bill, trying to become just the third father-son combination to win NASCAR Cup Series championships, Lee and Richard Petty, and Ned and Dale Jarrett. Starting second, our 2018 champion, 30-year-old Joey Logano. Joey, three wins on the season. Las Vegas back in February, and at Phoenix, March 8th. How about that? Eight months to the day of the championship race. And then, of course, five days later was when the season was halted because of the pandemic. 
and he won at Kansas Speedway on October 18th. And, of course, the biggest storyline with Joey is try and win a championship with Brad Keselowski's former crew chief, Paul Wolf, and his old pit crew. And starting third is the man himself, 36-year-old Brad Keselowski, our 2012 NASCAR Cup Series champion. Brad has four wins on the season, the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Memorial Day weekend. Undoubtedly for me, at this point, the biggest win of Brad Keselowski's career, knowing how much the military means to him, Memorial Day weekend, having Staff Sergeant Donovan Reap's name on his car, being able to talk to his family just days before the race and saying, I will win this race for Donovan. And then winning the following weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway when Chase Elliott and Joey Logano crashed each other with two laps to go. He also won at New Hampshire Motor Speedway on August 2nd in dominant fashion, leading 184 out of 301 laps. And of course, winning at Richmond Raceway on September 12th, dominating that race as well, leading 192 of 400 laps in the same car that he will be racing this Sunday at Phoenix. And starting fourth, 39-year-old Denny Hamlin, the 2010 runner-up, does he finally win a championship in his 15th full-time season? Denny, seven wins on the season, the Daytona 500, the Wednesday night race at Darlington, Homestead Miami Speedway, the Sunday race at Pocono, the Thursday night race at Kansas back in July, the Saturday race at Dover, and then the fall race at Talladega. Like I said, major, major storylines with this championship four going into Sunday. And looking back at the Phoenix race in March, sure enough, the two best cars in that race were Brad Keselowski and Chase Elliott. And of course, the other story was Denny Hamlin, about 50-some laps into the race when he took out Brad Keselowski and his teammate Ryan Blaney. You know, Brad spun and backed it into the fence. Ryan, his damage was a lot more significant, and his day was over. As we've talked about before, Brad drove that car as beat up as it was and as taped up as it was. He drove like a man possessed, took the lead, led 82 laps, had a bit of an encounter with Chase Elliott that cut his tire down. Of course, Alan Gustafson and Chase Elliott, you know, they were complaining on the radio about the way that Brad was racing them, and Alan basically said, I'm, I'm done with Brad's BS. So that's something to look forward to on Sunday. And a lot of people said that, oh, that's the reason why, why Brad Keselowski, why he wasn't welcome back at Hendrick Motorsports, whatever. Anyway, when I look at these championship four, Sure enough, Joey Logano won the race, but he won that race in March after Jeremy Bullins when he screwed up on the pit strategy and bringing Brad down pit road and the best he was able to get back up to was 11th. I don't think Jeremy's going to make that same mistake come Sunday. And of course, Denny, with all the damage to his car, he finished 20th at Phoenix back in March. So here we go. I've been saying it for two solid months now, almost two solid months. I say this with my head and not with my heart. When I look at these four and I think about the car that Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bollins, and the two crew are bringing to Phoenix this Sunday, knowing how dominant it was at flat one-mile tracks like New Hampshire on August 2nd, leading 184 out of 301 laps, knowing how dominant it was at a flat, short track such as Richmond. My pick to win the race on Sunday and the 2020 NASCAR Cup Series Championship is Brad Keselowski. And I'll tell you this, folks. On a personal note, I started watching NASCAR religiously around 2002. I was a Dale Earnhardt Jr. fan, for years upon years upon years, because of his father, because of how awesome and how dominant his father was. I never really got the chance to watch Dale Earnhardt Sr. race all that much. I, I, sure enough, I do remember the accident, the 2001 Daytona 500, but just the name Earnhardt, that's what drew me to Dale Jr. As, an, as a Dale Jr. fan, there was so many close calls and so many heartbreaks when it came to the championship. 2003, suffering a, a minor concussion at Dover. 2004, at Atlanta Motor Speedway, 14 laps to go, getting ready to take the lead in the championship with three races to go, and Carl Edwards crashes him head-on into the wall. 
2006, leading on the last lap of Talladega, and Brian Vickers plows Jimmy Johnson into Dale Jr., spins both of them out. Then moving to Hendrick Motorsports in 2008 and just completely fading in the second half of the season. 2012, two concussions in six weeks and having to miss two races. 2014, what was looking like a dream season, winning the Daytona 500 for the second time in his career, something his father had never done. Finally winning at Pocono. Not only finally winning at Pocono, but sweeping Pocono. And then, sure enough, some wrecks at Bristol and Kansas that resulted in some minor concussions. And then, just like that, his championship hopes were done. And go figure that he wins at Martinsville the week after he was eliminated. And then 2015, his first season with Greg Ives, winning at Talladega, winning at Daytona. And, of course, the error that NASCAR made at the end of that race, giving the win to Joey Logano when Dale Earnhardt Jr. was clearly ahead of him when the caution flag came out. And that ended Dale Jr.'s chances of winning the championship. And just a couple weeks later, he wins at Phoenix, and he would have gone to the championship four. As we all know, the horrible accidents that he had in 2016, the Daytona 500, Talladega, Dover, and Michigan, that resulted in the concussion where he missed 18 races and ultimately forced him to retire a year later. At that point, I had to look for a driver, and you know how disappointed I was when they announced that Alex Bowman was going to be taking over the 88 car. At that point, I wanted to pull for someone that I could relate to, and that's Brad Keselowski. This is a kid that grew up in Michigan, and he came up the hard way. You know, he definitely came up the hard way. I mean, at the beginning of his career, his family not having enough money, and, you know, running all of these underfunded cars and getting the attention of Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 2007. And if not for that phone call, he would have joined the military. Think about that for a second. He would have joined the military, Brad Keselowski. And we all know him and his wife, Paige, how they have the Checkered Flag Foundation and all of the wonderful things that it does for our veterans. That drew me right then and there. And seeing every time he, he wins that race, seeing him take an American flag with him for, the, for a victory lap, that sold me right then and there. I've been watching the sport for such a long time, and I just feel like come Sunday, I feel like the moment I've been waiting for for 18 years, I think it's finally going to happen. So like I said, Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bullins, and the two crew of Team Penske, that's my pick come Sunday to win the 2020 NASCAR Cup Series Championship. And like Brad Keselowski said to his team at the beginning of the playoffs, all the talk was about Kevin Harvick. All the talk was about Denny Hamlin. As he said to his team, why not us? And we've had a lot of great championship moments over the years. You guys know how much I love looking back in time at NASCAR history. And sure enough, you, you can go all the way back to 1979. You know, Daryl Waltrip, the young gun, Richard Petty, the veteran, Daryl running his mouth off, and sure enough, it coming back to haunt him the last race of the season, and Richard Petty takes the seventh and final championship. And then 1980, Dale Earnhardt, the first and so far only driver to follow up Rookie of the Year with a championship in his sophomore season. You know, 1983, Bobby Allison, 45 years old, all those years in the sport, finally winning a championship in the rain at Riverside, California. Then in 1985, Bill Elliott's car breaking the last race of the year, and Darrell Waltrip getting his third and final championship. Then 1989, Rusty Wallace, a loose wheel at Atlanta. Dale Earnhardt wins the race, and he still beats Dale by 12 points for his only championship. One of my favorite stories, 1990. Atlanta Motor Speedway. Dale Earnhardt had won the next to last race of the season at Phoenix, and he hated to go testing at a racetrack. He hated it. He wanted to go hunting since this is November we're talking. So Mark Martin and his team, they show up with like four or five different race cars. Dale Earnhardt, Richard Childress Racing, the three team, they showed up with one car. And Dale told Kirk Shelmerdine, he's like, honestly, I really don't feel like being here right now. I want to go hunting. And so they figured out, all right, let's do this. We're going to put the left side tires on the right side of the car and the right side tires on the left side of the car. 
Dale went out on that racetrack, made one lap. It was almost a second faster than, than Mark Martin. He came back in the garage. They loaded the car up. They put it in the hauler, and they went down the road, and Dale went hunting. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, Mark and his team, they were just panicking like crazy. Like, oh, my God, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Sure enough, the following week at Atlanta, Dale ended up winning his fourth out of seven championships. Then, of course, 1992, one of the greatest races in NASCAR history, six drivers eligible for the championship. You know, Davey Allison looking like he was going to join his father, Bobby, as a champion, and Ernie Irvin crashed him coming off of turn four. And Alan Kowicki, the ultimate underdog, winning the championship and taking his car for a Polish victory lap around the track. And on that same day, the very first race of Jeff Gordon's career and Richard Petty's last. And sadly, how just months afterwards, how Allen was killed in a plane crash on his way to Bristol, Tennessee. Then months after that, Davey Allison dying from his injuries sustained in a helicopter crash at Talladega. And the last race of the season at Atlanta, Rusty Wallace won the race. Dale Earnhardt won his six out of seven championships. And seeing Dale take an Allen Kowicki flag since he was the defending champion and seeing Rusty take a Davey Allison flag since he was a winner. Seeing those two take those flags for victory laps around the track was absolutely special. Then in 1995, the passing of the torch, Dale Earnhardt wins the race, and Jeff Gordon wins his first championship on the same day. Then the year after that, Bobby Labonte winning the race, big brother Terry winning his second final championship with a broken hand yet. Then the year after that, you know, Jeff Gordon crashing in final practice, and he still beats Dale Jarrett and Mark Martin for the championship. And then, of course, 2004, the year that NASCAR adopted the chase format. And seeing Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kurt Busch, Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, and Mark Martin, seeing those five drivers duke it out for the championship. You know, Dale Jr., one of the few shots that he had at a championship. And as the race went on, the brake pedal just started shaking more and more violently every time he went down to the corner. And sure enough, just days later... The eight team would be split up. Him, Tony Uri Sr., Tony Uri Jr., and Kurt Busch overcoming a loose wheel, almost clobbering the entrance to Pitt Road, and beating Jimmy Johnson by eight points for his first championship. Then two years later, five drivers having a shot at it again. Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jimmy Johnson, Kevin Harvick, Matt Kenseth, and Denny Hamlin in his rookie season. And Jimmy, his first of five straight championships. You know, and then in 2010, Denny Hamlin, the amazing season that he had, how him and Mike Ford, how they shot their mouths off about Jimmy Johnson, Chad Knauss, the 48 team. They ran out of gas to Phoenix. They spun out Miami. And sure enough, Jimmy won his fifth straight championship. 2011, one of my favorite battles of all time, Tony Stewart and Carl Edwards, seeing Tony go four wide at the beginning of the race. And then, of course, Kurt Busch's drive shaft going through the radiator, almost not, almost knocking the radiator out, excuse me. And Tony having to drive all the way back up through the field, taking the lead from Carl Edwards and beating Carl in a tiebreaker. A tiebreaker. Then the following year, Brad Keselowski and Paul Wolf. You know, Brad only in his third full-time season, only Paul's second season as a crew chief. And the championship coming down to them and Jimmy Johnson, and the fierce battle that they had at Texas Motor Speedway where Jimmy beat Brad, and Brad said afterwards, he said, I'm not going to lose this damn championship. And they go to Phoenix. Jimmy Johnson blows a right front tire and hits the wall. Brad finishes sixth. Then they go to Miami, and Jimmy and Chad had a strategy that looked like it was going to work and propel them to the championship. They missed the lug nut. Then next thing you know, the drivetrain breaks, Jimmy Johnson is done for the night, and Brad Keselowski, in his third full-time season, becomes a champion. And then, of course, 2014 was the championship four, the first year that that was introduced, and Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers, their first season together at Stuart Haas Racing, they win the championship. And then, of course, the next year, Kyle Busch breaking his leg and his foot in the Xfinity race at Daytona in February, missing the first 11 races of the year his first season with Adam Stevens, and they still come back to win the championship. And then, of course, 2016, you know, Carl Edwards looking like he was on his way to the championship, and Joey Logano crashed him and caused a huge pileup on the front straightaway, and that ended up being Carl's last race. And Jimmy Johnson was there to take advantage, and, of course, that infamous call by Rick Allen, 
Make room, Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt. There's another seven-time champion coming through. Jimmy Johnson wins his seventh NASCAR Cup Series championship. Seriously gives you chills thinking about it. And Dale Jr. going up on the stage and hugging Jimmy Johnson and just telling him, he said, he said, my dad would have loved you, man. He would have thought that you were a badass. (laughs) And then 2017, Dale Earnhardt Jr., the final race of his career, seeing every man on every crew, just like when his father won the 1998 Daytona 500, seeing every crew member high-fiving him as he was driving down pit road the last time. And you can hear in the background times like these by Foo Fighters playing. You know, that's definitely a day I'll never forget. And him getting to run the Budweiser Colors one last time for his final race. And on that same day, his original protege, Martin Trex Jr., wins the championship. 2018, that season was dominated by Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, and Martin Trex Jr., the big three. Of course, Joey Logano knocking Truex out of the way at Martinsville to make it to the championship four. And Joey going into that week, how he said, the big three and me. And he took the big three down and won his first championship. And of course, last year, looking like Denny Hamlin, like he was finally going to win the championship. Chris Gabehart puts way too much tape on the front of the car, overheats the engine, and Kyle Busch is there to claim his second NASCAR Cup Series championship. So there you have it. The big weekend ahead, my picks in NASCAR. Friday night for the Truck Series Championship, Sheldon Creed. Saturday afternoon for the Xfinity Series Championship, Justin Allgaier. And Sunday, November 8th at Phoenix Raceway, my pick to win the 2020 NASCAR Cup Series Championship, Brad Keselowski. Why not us? Now we move on to week nine in the NFL. And tonight, we have a rematch of the NFC Championship. The 4-4 four four San Francisco 49ers hosting the 5-2 Green Bay Packers, 820 on Fox, NFL Network, and Amazon Prime. And I'll tell you, the storylines going into this are absolutely crazy. First off, Aaron Rodgers... Losing to the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday, much to the chagrin of Johnny Glow, believe it or not. You know, Johnny Glow and I, we were watching bits and pieces of it on Sunday, and he said, man, he's like, I wanted them to lose this game. He said, I want Trevor Lawrence next year. (laughs) But anyway, Aaron Rodgers, without his top three running backs, think about that for a second. Without his top three running backs going into tonight. You know, I know that Aaron Jones, he's been injured for several weeks. And then Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon, both of them testing positive for COVID-19. At the same time, the San Francisco 49ers, Kendrick Bourne, one of their wide receivers, he tested positive for COVID-19. And the 49ers actually had to shut their facility down yesterday. That's not just the, the other big story. So they lose to the Seattle Seahawks last Sunday, 37-27. Jimmy Garoppolo re-injuring his ankle, looking like he is going to be on IR for the second time in three seasons. George Kittle, he's on IR. There is not a single starter, offensive starter, from the NFC Championship when they demolish Green Bay. Not a single offensive starter that will be playing tonight. Not Jimmy Garoppolo, George Kittle, Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, you name it, they're all out with injuries. And, of course, Matt Breda, he left this offseason. He is now with the Miami Dolphins. And, of course, Nick Bosa, he's done for the season. Solomon Thomas, Richard Sherman, it is just mind-boggling the amount of injuries that the San Francisco 49ers have. And Aaron Rodgers, even though he is without his top three running backs, sure enough, he has Devontae Adams. And that reason alone, he has Devontae Adams and... Robert Tanyan at tight end. I say that the Green Bay Packers prevail tonight. Now we move to Sunday. The 1-7 New York Giants at the 2-5 Washington football team. First and foremost, I forgot to mention on the last show, a huge, huge congratulations to head coach Ron Rivera of Washington beating cancer. That was such an emotional moment. Seeing the video Monday of last week, seeing him walk out of the hospital and ringing the bell, And it shows you how respected that Ron Rivera is, even after 
him and the Carolina, Carolina Panthers part of ways last year after eight seasons together. The Carolina Panthers actually retweeted that video and tweeted to him, we love you, Coach Rivera. That just shows the amount of respect that the league has for this man. And, you know, the New York Giants, they might be 1-7, but they gave Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers one hell of a run on Monday night. And realistically, that game could have and should have gone to overtime. I still do not understand the lack of a passing interference call at the end when Daniel Jones, when they went for two. I really, really do not understand that. Antoine Winfield Jr., like that was, that was just absolutely ridiculous. And then, of course, the other big storyline for the New York Giants is Golden Tate, how disgusted he is not getting the ball all that much. And the New York Giants sent him home the other day from practice after his wife was complaining, saying, oh, they're not giving him the ball enough. And Golden Tate, he's liking all these tweets on Twitter saying that the New York Giants should cut him. Gotta love it. So when I look at this game... It's very, believe it or not, this is one of the harder games to pick, but I am going to take the Washington football team. Just that reason alone, their defense, they are motivated, they are inspired, they want to win for Ron Rivera, given all that he has gone through this year. The 5 and 3 Chicago Bears at the 5 and 2 Tennessee Titans. Woo! I'll tell you what, like they have talked about the last two weeks, like Rodney Harrison has talked about, the Tennessee Titans, their defense is non existent. Jadavian Clowney does not have a single sack on the season. That offense is the one that's carrying it for him, whether it's Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Janu Smith. The defense is highly, highly lacking right now for the Tennessee Titans. And, of course, the Chicago Bears. How can we not forget about Javon Wims and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from the New Orleans Saints last Sunday evening? Now, I guess the story goes that uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, I guess he tried to grab the mouthpiece out of Javon Wims' mouth. And then, sure enough, we all saw how Javon Wims went after him and landed a couple punches. He got ejected from the game, and he's been suspended for the next two games. You know, I still have a hard, hard time convincing myself to pick the Chicago Bears. I really, really do. Whether it's, you like I've talked about, we never know what Nick Foles is going to show up. But sure enough, when it comes to the defense, I feel like Chicago is significantly, well, not significantly better, but a lot better than the Tennessee Titans. I still cannot believe how they lost to the Cincinnati Bengals, 31-20. Giovanni Bernard, two touchdowns in the absence of Joe Mixon. Joe Burrow, another two touchdowns himself. You know, I feel like the Tennessee Titans, I just kind of feel like they're reeling right now. And Sean, I love you. I hope you'll forgive me for this. But I'm actually going to take the Chicago Bears come Sunday. The 3-4 and four Detroit Lions at the 2-5 and five Minnesota Vikings. Matt Stafford has been placed on the COVID-19 list. He doesn't have COVID, but he came in contact with someone that does. So it's looking more and more likely that he will not play this Sunday. It's looking like Chase Daniel, he'll get the start at quarterback. And, of course, the Minnesota Vikings, they might be 2-5, and five, but Dalvin Cook had an Al Bundy game on Sunday. I scored four touchdowns in one game. So when I look at the fact that Matt Stafford is looking more and more likely like he's not going to play on Sunday, I know they said that if within five days, you know, if he has a negative test, there's a possibility he could still play but I doubt that's going to happen. Of course, Kenny Galladay, my top receiver in fantasy, he went out early on Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts with a hip injury. I just feel like all those reasons alone, I feel like Detroit is so depleted, and I'm going to take the Minnesota Vikings, and Johnny Glow is going to be disgusted that the Vikings are losing their chance of drafting Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> the 3-5 and five Carolina Panthers at the 7-1 and one Kansas City Chiefs. I think the biggest storyline with Carolina is Teddy Bridgewater. You know, that was that was a very, very dirty, and I mean dirty, tackle last Thursday night by the Atlanta Falcons having to go to the tent. It's looking like he might have a neck injury. And, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, <laughs> hell, they beat the New York Jets. You know, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, how many weapons can you have when you throw five touchdowns? <laughs> you know, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, McCall Hardman. Oh, dear Lord. You know, I think this is another game, 
Honestly, this is another game just not not even knowing if Teddy Bridgewater is going to play on Sunday. I'm taking the Kansas City Chiefs. The 1-6 Houston Texans at the 1-6 Jacksonville Jaguars. Gardner Minshew, he is out with an injury. And, of course, Houston, they are coming off of the bye. This is the easiest game of the week to pick for me, Houston Texans. The 5-2 Baltimore Ravens at the 5-2 Indianapolis Colts. Here's the thing with Baltimore. Lamar Jackson, as we saw Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers, he is not 2019 Lamar Jackson. And I think Baltimore has gotten away from their identity. Think of it. You know, they, they've tried to make Lamar Jackson into more of a passer instead of a runner. They've gotten away from the powerful running game that they have. Granted, Mark Ingram, you know, he's out with an injury, and they're handing the ball off now to J.K. Dobbins, the rookie out of Ohio State. You look at that. You look at Gus Edwards, another one of Baltimore's running backs. He's beat up. And, of course, we know with the Indianapolis Colts, how Phillip Rivers, he's sort of turnover prone himself. But sure enough, what a day he had on Sunday. The two touchdowns to Naeem Hines, one of their running backs, both receiving touchdowns. Of course, Darius Leonard, probably one of the more underrated linebackers in the league. I think this will be a good game, but ultimately I say that Baltimore prevails on a close one. The 6-1 Seattle Seahawks at the 6-2 Buffalo Bills. You know, that's the thing. Russell Wilson, I think even though he had that gaffe, the Sunday night game against the Arizona Cardinals with the interception. Nevertheless, he is easily becoming the front runner and the favorite to be NFL MVP this season. The Buffalo Bills, they're 6-2, but it's an ugly 6-2. I mean, they almost lost the New England Patriots. And they probably would have lost the New England Patriots if not for the fumble by Cam Newton at the end. As Sean Rosansky likes to say, that Russell Wilson-DK Metcalf combo. I think you're going to see plenty of that on Sunday. I think the Buffalo's defense has been very, very disappointing this year, aside from when they play the Patriots or, or the Jets. So I'm taking the Seattle Seahawks. The 3-4 and four Denver Broncos at the 2-6 and six Atlanta Falcons. Believe it or not, folks, this is one of the harder games to pick. Now, Jason Boone, I know how much he loves Drew Locke. And Drew Locke, what a game he had Sunday, bringing Denver all the way back from 16 points down to beat the Chargers on the last play of the game, the Atlanta Falcons, you know, they're two and six. They had a huge, huge win, huge win last Thursday night against the Carolina Panthers. But at the same time, they almost once again, blew a fourth quarter lead. I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here. I'm going out on a bit of a limb. And obviously with Matt Stafford being on the COVID list and, you know, with Dak Prescott being done for the season, I've had to make so many changes at quarterback in fantasy. I have Ryan Tannehill. And when I had to put Matt Stafford on the COVID IR list in Sean's Fantasy League, I picked up Drew Locke. I know Jason Boone's going to love that. So one of the tougher games to pick, I'm going to call a bit of an upset here, I guess you could say, since the game is in Atlanta. I'm taking the Denver Broncos. The 4-3 and three Las Vegas Raiders at the 2-5 and five Los Angeles Chargers, the first 4 o'clock game on Sunday. And Kyle Williams, you know, that was an, an amazing game on Sunday, beating the Cleveland Browns 16-6. to The gusty, gusty wins in Cleveland. And, you know, Kyle said the one thing is with the Raiders, it's their defense. Their defense looks like Nanny Coke High School sometimes. <laughs> you know, they really do. The amount of points and yards that they have given up. They only gave up six points on Sunday. That was the fewest they've given up since December of 2012. And the other cool thing with the Raiders was seeing more of an old-school offense attack. You know, they had they had the ball on offense 71 times on Sunday, whereas the Cleveland Browns only had it about 34 times, 34 plays on offense compared to 71. They dominated as far as time of possession goes. The Los Angeles Chargers, once again, this is four games in a row. They were leading by at least 16 points or more. And they lost the game. Justin Herbert, there's only so much that he could do. You know? And I I just feel like this is going to be another situation come Sunday. Honestly, I want to pick the Chargers. I feel like they are certainly capable of winning some games and contending for a wild card spot in the AFC. But I just have that feeling it's going to be a close game. I think the Chargers are going to blow another fourth quarter lead. 
And I am picking the Las Vegas Raiders. 425 on CBS. Their game of the week. <laughs> Tony Romo and Jim Nance. The 7-0 Pittsburgh Steelers at the 2-6 Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, Tony Romo gets to call another Cowboys game. <laughs> the Pittsburgh Steelers, for the second time in franchise history, start 7-0. The last time, well, the only time they started 7-0, 1978. Mean Joe Green. Undoubtedly, the greatest Steeler of all time, in my opinion. Mean Joe Green, earlier this week, said, I want to give a warning to these Pittsburgh Steelers. We started 7-0 in 1978, and we went to a game down in Texas. It was a Monday night game against the Houston Oilers. And we were so confident that we were going to beat them, and sure enough, we lost. And that's the thing with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like Rich Kaminsky always says, Mike Tomlin teams, they play down to their competition. You know, the Dallas Cowboys are going to be on their fourth quarterback. Fourth quarterback this season. Dak Prescott, the first five games before being lost for the season. Andy Dalton, the concussion, and now he's on the COVID list. Ben DiNucci, struggling Sunday night against the Philadelphia Eagles, losing two fumbles. And now it's going to be either Cooper Rush or Garrett Gilbert at quarterback. And that offensive line is decimated, having to go up against the Pittsburgh Steelers with TJ Watt, with Cam Hayward, Stephon Tewitt, AFC Defensive Player of the Week. And, of course, the backfield with Minka Fitzpatrick. You know, and, of course, Robert Spillane. Robert Spillane having the pick six of Lamar Jackson on Sunday. And, like I said, the Steelers' defense, two of their linebackers, for that matter. Robert Spillane, whose grandfather played for the Steelers back in the 50s. The pick six of Lamar Jackson. Alex Highsmith, one of their rookie linebackers, him picking off Lamar Jackson as well. And, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, he somewhat struggled on Sunday. But it's been, like I said, he hasn't really turned the ball over as much as he always would. You know, Sure enough, his two touchdowns, Eric Ebron, who I have in my fantasy team, Chase Claypool, of course, a rushing touchdown, and what a finish to that game, Steelers-Ravens on Sunday, prevailing 28-24 to over their arch rivals. You know, the Steelers and the Cowboys, they're somewhat rivals. I mean, all the Super Bowls that they met, you know, in the 1970s, the Steelers winning both of them. Believe it or not, the Dallas Cowboys, their very first win was in 1961 against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the Steelers, they've always been the blue-collar team, the working man's team. The Dallas Cowboys, they've always sort of been like a white-collar team. You know, they're flashy. And here's the thing. You know, the Dallas Cowboys, they're called America's team. Originally, NFL Films, they offered that to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the late, great Art Rooney, who founded the team in 1933, Art didn't want the title. You know, he he just didn't want the title. That's That's the way the Steelers have been. They're not flashy you know as the old old saying goes of mike tomlin style points don't matter you know you win the game that's that's what matters and so come sunday for the first time in their 87 years of existence i say that the pittsburgh steelers will improve to eight and oh as many wins as they had all of last year after ben roethlisberger was lost for the season two games in and having to go back and forth between Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges. You know, honestly, this could be a game. Never, I mean, never underestimate your opponent. Never underestimate your opponent. But this is a game. The Steelers are favored by 13 and a half. That's too much for me. But if this game tends to be a blowout, we could see Mason Rudolph in at quarterback towards the end of the game. Two more games on Sunday. The 4-3 and three Miami Dolphins at the 5-2 and two Arizona Cardinals. I'll tell you what, you know, Tua, he might have won in his debut, 28-17 to over the Rams, but like I said, any Dolphins fan I know, they'll tell you they have to have him, they have to trust him more. I mean, granted, it was his first start, but he only had 93 passing yards on Sunday, and you have an idiot like Skip Bayless saying that, oh, oh the Dolphins should trade Tua. That's ridiculous. But I'll tell you what, their defense stepped up, getting Jared Goff, Two fumbles from Jared Goff on Sunday and two interceptions. You guys know Jared Goff, to me, he's a system quarterback. Sean McVay's offense makes him look good. And of course, the Arizona Cardinals, you know, being 5-2, and two, the huge win that they had against the Seattle Seahawks before their bye week. You know, I, I like the Dolphins, but I just say that Arizona prevails. Sunday night football, the 5-2 and two New Orleans Saints at the 6-2 and two Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
And guess who is back Sunday night and makes their debut as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer? You guessed it. None other than Antonio Brown. His eight-game suspension in the NFL ends this weekend, and he makes his Tampa Bay Buccaneers debut. As I said in the last show, this is the last chance for Antonio Brown as far as the NFL goes. Bruce Arians made it obvious. You screw up, you're done. No second chance, nothing, you're done. And Tom Brady, despite what Bruce Arians will say, you know, it wasn't my decision or Tom's decision, it was our GM's decision. Believe me, Tom Brady had a big, big say in Antonio Brown becoming a Tampa Bay Buccaneer to the point that Antonio Brown is living with Tom Brady, just like he was his last season in New England. Now, Bruce Arians said that, you know, he wasn't going to reveal, you know, how involved Antonio Brown is going to be on Sunday night as far as the game plan goes. He said it could be 10 plays, it could be 35 plays. He said it's sure as hell not going to be 60 plays, you know. So we'll just have to wait and see. And the thing is, like I talked about before, they are so stacked as far as the receiving core goes. You know, whether it's Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, hopefully he'll be back Sunday night. I know he had the the surgery on his finger, and Bruce Arians said that he should know by tomorrow whether or not Chris will be able to catch a ball. Of course, we have Gronk, Scotty Miller. Tampa Bay is just loaded as far as the offense goes. And it's like Shannon Sharp said this morning, you know, you're going to, as far as the New Orleans Saints go, you're going to make sure, no matter how involved Antonio Brown is or isn't, Whenever he's on the field come Sunday night, you're going to make sure you put your best corner on him. Because Antonio Brown, when his head is right, he is deadly and could take off for long yards, receptions, and touchdowns. And I think that's the one thing to look out for come Sunday night. And I think, you know, the Saints, they beat Tampa Bay week one. And, of course, Skip Bayless complained how unfair it was that, you know, Tom Brady had to make his Tampa Bay Buccaneers debut against the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans with no preseason. That That's such a bunch of BS, if you ask me. At the end of the day, they still had training camp. They still had time to prepare. You know, it's, it's not New Orleans or the NFL's fault that Tom Brady struggled in his Tampa Bay Buccaneers debut. You know, from if you're the NFL, from a ratings perspective, you want – one of your biggest games opening week of the season, think of it. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, two first ballot Hall of Famers that have been going back and forth for several weeks as far as who's the all-time touchdown leader. One week it's Drew Brees, next week it's Tom Brady, so on and so forth. So this is a great, great Sunday night game. And, you know, the New Orleans Saints, I just feel like Tampa gets revenge on New Orleans from week one, and they are my pick. And then, of course, Monday Night Football. The 2-5 and five New England Patriots at the 0-8 New York Jets. Game of the week. <laughs> 8-15 on ESPN. For the first time since October 2002, the New England Patriots have lost four games in a row. For the second time in franchise history, the New York Jets have started the season 0-8. The only other time they did that was 1996, their worst season ever, when they finished 1-15. So, go figure. I have to agree with Skip Bayless on this. The Patriots, they might only win two games the rest of the year. And those two games could come against the New York Jets. So, there you go. Those are all of my picks for this weekend as far as NASCAR and as far as the NFL goes. So, a quick recap. My NFL picks... For tonight, the Green Bay Packers over the San Francisco 49ers for Sunday. The Washington football team over the New York Giants. The Chicago Bears over the Tennessee Titans. Sorry, Sean. The Minnesota Vikings over the Detroit Lions. Kansas City Chiefs over the Carolina Panthers. Houston Texans over the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Baltimore Ravens over the Indianapolis Colts. Seattle Seahawks over the Buffalo Bills. Denver Broncos over the Atlanta Falcons, the Las Vegas Raiders over the Los Angeles Chargers, the Pittsburgh Steelers over the Dallas Cowboys, Arizona Cardinals over the Miami Dolphins, 
Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the New Orleans Saints. And for Monday night, the New England Patriots over the New York Jets. And my recap as far as the NASCAR championships go. Friday night in the Gander Outdoors Truck Series, the number two of Sheldon Creed. Saturday in the Xfinity Series, the number seven of Justin Allgaier. And Sunday, the NASCAR Cup Series Championship, my pick for the race and the win, the number two of Brad Keselowski. So that's going to do it for episode 29 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in. And come Monday, the day after the championship race, I will have a recap of the race and a recap of the champion's season from start to finish from Daytona, you know, February 16th and 17th with the 500, the rain delay, and, and of course the miracle of Ryan Newman surviving. What an amazing, what a season this has been. You know, you get the first four races of the season in and the season is shut down for two months because of COVID-19. And what an effort by NASCAR and all of the racetracks, all of the people in the industry. You know, I might, I might complain about them and be critical sometimes here and there, but honestly, kudos to NASCAR for getting all 36 races in this season amidst all of the odds being stacked against them, whether it was COVID-19, whether it was rain delays, you name it. So much has gone on this season in NASCAR. And all these doubleheaders, whether it was Darlington, Charlotte, Pocono, Michigan, Dover, and here we are, come Sunday, NASCAR is going to finish the season on time, all 36 races in the midst of a pandemic. Awesome, awesome job by NASCAR. Congratulations on a successful season. I know it's not over yet, but thank you for all of your efforts this season to get it in against all the odds. So that will do it for episode 29. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the championship races. Y'all take it easy.